Hi, everyone, and welcome in to the first ever episode of Panthers Pathway here on the Pit Talk Network, a part of the Fan First Sports Network. I'm Austin Bechtold, pleased to be with you as your host of our preview podcast, getting you ready for Pit football games, especially covering all things Pit athletics, but especially Pit football in this 2023 season as the Panthers open up the season against Wofford at home at Akershire Stadium as it is finally time for football to return to the North Shore, to the city of Pittsburgh. College football is back, and I'm so excited for it. And to preview the matchup and talk about a lot of other different things that have gone on around the football program this past week is Nick Faribault of Steelers Now, also a recent Pitt alum, WPTS broadcaster. He called so many Pitt football games, Pitt basketball games, and he just overall is one of the best Pit insiders that you'll ever know. So, Nick, really appreciate you joining me. Also, the host of Locked On Panthers. Yeah, man, appreciate you having me on. Um, it's always great to be able to talk pit. Uh, you know, obviously, I did just graduate, but I've been there. Um, ACC championship, NCAA tournament, man, got to call those, and you know, backyard brawls. And, oh, it's been a winding journey, man, over the past few years there, but. This season, I think, is actually one of the more intriguing seasons uh, I think I can remember in recent memory. I'm pretty excited because it feels like a reset. And you brought me on Locked on Pit, so I had to return the favor right away. It's great to have you as my first guest to begin this new Panthers Pathway podcast. And there's a new Panther into the program with all eyes gleaming on him. The quarterback, Phil Dracovic, final year of eligibility, Boston College, Notre Dame, a lot that has been in the background of Phil, obviously a Pine Richland product here in the WPIAL. I just see a lot of upside, some potential from Dracovic. He's done some great things with Children's Hospital off the field that has made an impact in the community. His impact on the field for Pat Narduzzi and this current Panthers team this year after the departure of Keaton Slovis, I think is going to be huge. Yeah, I think he's going to be the most imp- obviously the most important player, but he's kind of an intriguing player too because of his highs and lows as a college football player. I mean, two years ago, we're talking about a guy that probably would have been drafted if he had kept his level of play, but the injuries really just racked up. I don't know. I think I feel like Djokovic is a really talented player that just has been snake-bitten by a lot of injuries. And I think as long as he can stay healthy, man, he can get a pretty solid quarterback. Like He fits the Frank Signe's scheme really well. His frame is so unique for quarterbacks. He's one of the bigger – uh, pit quarterbacks, I can remember. Uh, he's about as big as Tom Savage, but obviously has far more mobility than Tom Savage will. Uh, so you can like design QB draws, counters, read options with him. He can run. He's got that Josh Allen, Big Ben frame. Uh, got a d- decent arm that he can push the ball down the football field. I think that'll help out when we talk about some of these weapons like Bub Means and, and Dejon Reynolds and Kanane Mumpfield. I think it'll really accentuate what they do. I think he's got to focus on a few things. I think he's got to rein in some of the off-script stuff. He loves to go off-script because that's what he's really good at. Um, and, and he is a guy that can extend the play and make magic happen. But I want to see him stand in the pocket sometimes, be able just to kind of read a defense and, and do that. I feel like sometimes his accuracy can get a little crazy. Um, but, man, I, I feel like they can get a guy here and field your COVID who is really going to give them a guy that knows the offense, He's a rugged player with toughness. He's the type of guy that will really give you someone that people in that locker room, fans will love to watch and play. Um, I think that's something that's really going to help them. Just from a a standpoint on the football field, uh, I I also think, you know, the conundrum with him is the talent is there. The arm talent isn't like elite. And when he tries to really put mustard on the ball, that's when he gets erratic. So I think he just needs to know his game. I, I think that's the other thing. But we've kind of heard the deep ball being a thing in this offense, so expect it to, to pop, I think. 6'5", 235. And you mentioned some of the weapons that he does have. A lot of returning players. Gavin Bartholomew is somebody that I want to highlight as just an option in the middle of the field. Also, tight ends, you hear it so much and so often, security blanket for the quarterback. And I think those two veterans are going to be able to pair up so much together, as well as a breakout year for me, for Bob Memes, as well as just the overall capabilities that Kanante Mumfield has. I don't think there could be, depending on how good Vildrakovic is, 
I could see a breakout like him to the point where he is Jordan Addison pre-USC to the point where maybe not the best wide receiver in all of college football, but he has so much talent that I think you can unlock in this his skill set to the point where he can be a top three wide receiver in the ACC. I truly believe it. Yeah, man. I think the receiver room is interesting. Um, Bud Mean specifically is obviously the guy that's been touted up. I'm full on the Kanata Mumfield train. I think people are really underrating what Kanata Mumfield is. I think he's going to be their receiver one this year. Uh, just because I like the skill set that he brings to the table. He's got that Addison skill set, right? Um, as you kind of mentioned, this this route runner that separates. Um, and, and separators are target getters. And I think that's what, you know, obviously those combat catch guys, you know, a guy like above means um, is going to get those opportunities. But just think of, of that separation, that route running ability, those easy throws. It's it's the key thing. And, and then Kanata Mumfield is really good at that. Great route runner. Um, I, I truly believe he's an NFL receiver. Um, I, I do believe that about Kanata Mumfield. I think he's a guy that will see the next level. Uh, he, he has great routes. Um, at times reminds me um, in his route running uh, kind of ability of Jerry Judy at times. Um, it's kind of just how he sets it up. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be Jerry Judy. Um, but I'm saying, you know, there are shades of that. Um, if, if you want kind of a realistic level guy, you know, that should be a guy that can get the similar stats to what Jared Wayne had a year ago. I think that's a realistic kind of goal there. Probably not as explosive as Jared Wayne was with more volume, but he can be a chain mover and a guy that can win at the second level. Uh, Bub Means is going to be your explosive play guy. I think that's the big thing here. I think Bub Means has to break out. And the reason why is, he had moments last year, but that that game against UCLA in the Sun Bowl was really a coming out party for him. His hands were inconsistent last year. His routes weren't great, and he didn't separate down the football field. But we saw him make some really big contested catches with strong hands and use that athleticism. You know, at Louisiana Tech, this was a guy that averaged over 20 yards a catch. Um, he's an explosive play magnet. And so I think they need him to be that. Let Phil Djurkovic trust a big guy that he can throw it up to whenever he sees one-on-one coverage. And I think they need a third guy to, to kind of rise up here. They need a third breakout guy. Is that going to be Dejon Reynolds, kind of a guy that's not super fast, um, but is is a silky smooth chain guy, could be a big slot type of guy. But they like Kanani Mumfield in the slot. So uh, it, it's kind of going to be a conundrum there. I think the real sleeper of this room and, and the guy I keep hearing about from coaches when I talk to them or anyone on that team is Kenny Johnson. The, you know, the freshman Kenny Johnson at Dallas Town. Uh, he is fast and very fast. He's physically ready with his body to make an impact this year. I truly believe Kenny Johnson is going to be the, the one wide receiver out of that freshman class, those four guys, that's going to step in and give you immediate impact. He looks really good. I've heard that his speed and route running are, are real tangible traits that they like about this guy. Man, so they need a third guy, maybe even a fourth guy to come out of there. But I, I think, you know, I think I'd watch Kenny Johnson. And I think I think Bub Means and Kenny Mumfield will give them a solid enough one-two to trust them. It's going to be who comes out as, the, as a three to really give them a guy to trust. And at the Pitt Spring game, I heard a lot of good things about Israel Polk his route running ability, just kind of the things that were surprised about how well he was adapting to the game as well. And you need the depth, you need the availability for some of these guys. And the more playmakers that Djokovic has to be able to work with at his disposal, obviously the better, including one being Rodney Hammond. He's going to get the bulk of the carries. No longer is Israel Benacanda here now with the New York Jets after being a mid-round pick. Derek Davis, though, the transfer, local product, WPIL guy as well after coming over from the SEC. He's somebody else that I'm keeping an eye on, and Pitt could have another one-two punch in the backfield. Yeah, I think you look at the, the two deep, and it's kind of interesting uh, because Derek Davis is technically fourth on that depth chart, but his athleticism and pure speed and his build is just so unique i think even in this pit backfield and i think they have a really good backfield um you talk about rodney hammond man we talk about a guy that has no fear at all in terms of playing the game of football that's a guy that will lower his shoulder make any catch whatever he is a physical guy that wears a massive chip on his shoulder he's a smaller dude but he runs about three inches and 20 pounds heavier than he does because he is 
a physical football player that will run through your face. I think that's the key thing about Rodney Hammond. He just finds the hidden yardage. Not really a guy that's like a super home run hitter. Um, I think he's fast and I think he's quick, but I don't think that's like his strength. I think he's just a guy that pops 12, 15 yards off. When there's three yards, he'll get you seven. I think that's the type of thing with yep. Rodney Hammond. And he's a versatile guy. Improved in pass protection last year. I thought that was a really good big thing, too. They could trust this guy to be a three-down back. But they have really four good backs here. You talked about Derek Davis, you know, the athleticism that guy has. Um, but we, we got to talk about Daniel Carter now. You know, he's a short yardage back against UCLA powerful guy always pops in the spring i think we finally will see what he looks like um sebo flemister is here kind of a different type of player out of notre dame smart veteran a gritty guy you know when when we talk about the types of of tropes for lunch pail guy first in first out leader by example that's sebo flemister understands what it takes to win in college football and really sets that example uh, really good vision, has good explosiveness to break runs. Uh, I, I just think they have a nice punch here. And if they even get injuries here, I think Derek Davis can step up in a big way. I'm still not completely sure about Derek Davis in terms of his lateral movement. It's not that he can't do it. It's I just haven't seen it yet. Uh, I want to see him, you know, make those cuts and and be able to set defenders up, press the line. I just haven't seen it yet. And I wonder if it's a part of his skill set. But, man, the straight line speed, the physicality, uh, and the receiving ability, it's all there. On the defensive side of the ball, Pat Narduzzi has stressed it multiple different times. It starts with MJ Devonshire, the Aliquippa product, redshirt senior this year. Everyone knows the pick six that he made in the backyard brawl, which was pretty much, Nick, a part of his coming out party this year to the point where the Panthers could trust him as a lockdown guy go up against the number one wide receiver on opposing ACC teams. But there's a lot of other guys in the uh, defensive back room that I like. Marquise Williams had a good season. A.J. Woods is still here. Still have guys like Javon McIntyre. McIntyre, a younger guy, now a redshirt sophomore, looking for an even greater role, an Emotep charter product. There's so much to like about this team in the secondary to the point of – the point of emphasis previously was always, okay, front seven – Defensive line, all the guys that Pitt has had drafted on the defensive line in the last couple of years. Kalaja Canty is no longer here. Servassier Dennis is no longer here. Who are some other guys in the linebacking core that we should look out that we should look out for? And also, what's your thoughts on the secondary? Another year for that group together. Yeah, man, you talk about that secondary, a, a, a group that at corner is pretty old in terms of who they have there, right? You know, you can trust Marquez Williams and A.J. Woods and MJ. Uh, those are guys that have been in this thing for five or more years now. So you're going to lean on that when you have a young front, uh, young defensive end specifically, young safeties, two young safeties. But I'll tell you what, keep an eye on Javon McIntyre. I I'm telling you this guy's the next big safety out of this room, replacing Brandon Hill. They've been on a nice run there at safety from DeMar, you know, Jordan Whitehead to DeMar Hamlin to Brandon Hill. Javon McIntyre is going to take that mantle. This guy loves contact. He loves hitting. He's a ball hawk. He's a guy that has grown so much. And when you talk to coaches about him, it's how the game has slowed down for him. He's just ready to play now. You know, when he was playing sparingly and getting snaps here or there, the game would be a little slow. He'd be out of position, and, and guys would be like, okay, you, you're feast or famine right now, but now it's a lot more feast. And he's got great athleticism. The guy is a freak athlete. Like, I think that's what people don't realize about him. Um, he is going to test out of the water whenever that time comes, and, and teams should really be fearful of that when they're testing that uh, safety room. I think PJ O'Brien is back there too. That'll be interesting to see. But I think the key uh, in terms of the, you know the starting safeties is they're just going to have to work with their corners. It's going to be man coverage a lot, but they're going to have to step up and take that mantle. PJ O'Brien's been a feaster famine guy as well. Big hitter, guy that plays with his heart on his sleeve. Lots of emotions, trash talking type. I like that type. I like having swagger. I think PJ O'Brien's this ball of energy in a good way. That'll help this team. Steph Hall had a really good camp too. I'm interested to see where he kind of fits in. Um, but I'll tell you what, another guy in the secondary, Rylan Gandy. I think that's another guy to, to look at. Red shirt freshman. Really impressed Pat Narduzzi last year of how quickly he came on. Man, he's a good player too. Ball hawk. If 
you know, they didn't have these red shirt seniors here. Uh, Ryan Ganey would start. He's, he's a good player. He'll play enough in this ACC season. He'll be your second outside corner um, with A.J. Woods, obviously being the main guy and being the guy in the Delta. Um, but if you're looking at guys in that linebacking corner, we're talking about guys that can step up in that linebacker room. I think the easy answer, and, and it's a guy that is a WPIL guy, it's Braylon Lopez. Uh, this yeah. is a guy out of Leechburg, uh, you know, pretty sparingly recruited. Virginia Tech was really the only other high major offer he had alongside Pitt. Grew up a Pitt fan. Man, Pat Narduzzi has talked this guy up because of his athleticism, because of how quickly he just hit it up. He's just got this enthusiasm about him. Uh, there are some real – to me, there are some real Servassier Dennis vibes with Braylon Lopez. I just think he's got natural leadership qualities. He's a little bit undersized, but he's an explosive athlete, and he hits with bad intentions. And I think that's really the type of guy you need to be as a freshman in order to play. He'll play this year a lot. Kyle Lewis will also play at that star linebacker position behind Solomon DeShields. Um, I, I think you look at Kyle Lewis as a guy that really comes in as a great athlete, but you didn't know what he was going to be as a football player with his keys, his mental reads and coverage at that star linebacker spot. You're essentially being a slot cornerback. Sometimes he's a little lighter, but I think that's going to aid him actually in flipping his hips, going to man coverage. That's going to be something he's going to do. He's going to cover running backs really well. I like Kyle Lewis there. And then I think you just have usual suspects and, Bengali Kamara, this should be a big year for him. Uh, Solomon DeShields, I think, is going to have a good year. Shane Simon, Brandon George there. Um, but I, I think your breakout star of the group, the guy that's going to be the dentist of this group, should be Bengali Kamara. He should be. He's an NFL player athlete, athletically. Um, that is the type of athlete they have in him, man. He can cover ground. He can hit hard. He's had up and down play, but I thought he got better over the course of last year. So, this should be the year for Bengali Kamara. This should be the year, and he should really turn out to be one of the better defensive players at that position in the ACC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. And then on the defensive line, Devin Danielson, Dayon Hayes back. A little bit of a younger group, though, with I remember the core WPIL guys that were brought in. It was Nakai Johnson, it was Elliot Donald, it was Dorian Ford. Ford now moving from defensive line to offensive line. Could we start to see some of those guys, those that core part of the recruiting class? really start to step up as this new wave takes over on the defensive line because Devin Danielson's in his final season and some of these other guys are not having that much time left on their lineup card either. Yeah, from what I've heard, it might be a year before you see the Elliott Donalds, the Sean Fitzsimmonses on that interior line. But I'll tell you what, on the edge, I think so. Nakai Johnson, this is his time to step up. Samuel Okunlola, this is his time to step up. Um, but you have guys on that interior who were competing. You thought maybe a Fitzsimmons and Elliot Donald um, would step up and take that. But out of nowhere, redshirt senior DeAndre Jules takes that job, and he might be the starter. He was listed as an or with Tyler Bentley. I mean, that's the type of camp he had. Man, he has always had potential. He's been a big dude with good burst and, and heavy hands. He just hasn't had great conditioning, and he's had some injuries that have put him back. This year, who came in finally healthy, this could be a year where we talk about DeAndre Jules being the, where did you come from? And he only has one year, but he's a guy that has that athleticism and has kind of that pedigree to do that. Nate Temple, on the other hand, is also a guy who is listed as the starter opposite of Dayon Hayes. This should be a big year for Dayon Hayes, but Nate Temple is the starter opposite of him. Explosive athlete, just has been hurt a lot, but man, his burst is insane. And I know Charlie Partridge loves the guy. You know, we don't have a lot of tape on Nate Temple, so who knows how he's going to perform, but we'll see. Charlie Partridge likes you. I'm, I'm yeah. inclined to give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I, I think this could be a big year for this D-line. Obviously, they're going to build off that 
veteran interior as they should. They have four really solid D tackles there now. David Green's going to be the leader of the group. And you have two good run stuffers. But DeAndre Jules can be your kind of pocket-collapsing pass rusher. But I really believe the breakout guy of this D-line this year is going to be Sean Fitzsimmons. I, I just think he is a guy that flashed in limited play last year. He's really far ahead of the curve in terms of his hand usage. The bag for a redshirt freshman, the moves he has in his set is kind of insane. I, I didn't realize how deep his bag was until you watched him in practice, until you watch him kind of go through the tape and limited tape. And when he's pulling out a spin move, a double swipe, a cross chop, like all of these different moves, you shouldn't have that many moves that are good at that level. He's going to play. I, I liken him to, if, if you're a Steelers fan, I liken him to Nick Herbig in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, you know, as a rookie comes in as a fourth round pick, right. has like all these crazy moves can do all these different things. Fitzsimmons is like that at college level. He's going to be good, man, on the interior. I think Sean Fitzsimmons is the next big thing there. And if you look at just the pit too deep that was released for the upcoming matchup this Saturday against Wofford, I'm also Bechtel joined alongside Nick Farabaugh here talking pit football before the upcoming 2023 season. Some of the guys that stand out, obviously Rodney Hammond, your RB1, Jerkovic, should get the start at quarterback. Bob Means, Kanante Mumfield, Dejon Reynolds are the top three wide receivers that are highlighted. But you talked about some of the guys in the defensive line with Dayon Hayes and Nakai Johnson on the edge is that second guy, as well as Nate Temple starting on the other side of the defensive line. Uh, DeAndre Jules, Tyler Bentley, Devin Danielson, David Green. But Jonathan Simmons is right there, right behind Green, right behind Danielson, and Bengali Kamara, somebody that we should definitely be looking out for. But Phil O'Brien in the safety room as well. And obviously, when you can bring back somebody as explosive as Devonshire as a punt returner on special teams, it gives you an additional flair. Hey, Pitt fans, I hope you're enjoying the first ever episode of Panthers Pathway with Austin Bechtold. This is Corey Cohen. I want to tell you about an exciting contest that ends in just a few days. Are you a fan of an NFL team? Would you love to attend your favorite team's week one game? Well, you're in luck. Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice up to $5,000. The rules to enter are simple. Go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out the appropriate information. That's it. Once you've done that, you've officially been registered to win the four free tickets to any Week 1 NFL game. So what are you waiting for? You could see Kenny Heisman at Heinz Field Week 1, Akershire Stadium. Call it whatever you want. You could see that game. Go enter for your shot at seeing your favorite team in action. Contest ends on September 4th. Just go to contest.fansfirstsports.com. And now, back to Panthers Pathway with Austin Bechtold. Something else that I think is really being captivating for Pitt fans and really for college football fans. So it was a controversy that was sparked on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan, partially because I tweeted something about it. It was a conversation that myself, Adam Crowley, Doran Dickerson had on The Fan last week about Pitt and Penn State. Does Penn State want to play Pitt? And Crowley basically said they're scared. So I tweeted it out. Crowley quote tweeted it and basically said, it's not that I know that Penn State doesn't want to play Pitt. It's a fact that he believes that they just do not want any part of the Panthers. Pat Narduzzi on the PN team with Andrew Filipponi and Chris Muller this week was stating how, do you want to play Penn State, they asked. And he said, call up James Franklin. We've called. We've asked. We've inquired. Pat Narduzzi is somebody, Nick, who will not hold back. He's honest. He will give you the truth most of the time. I respect it. I appreciate it. And if it was up for the Panthers, as Narduzzi said, let's go. Yeah, man. I I have a lot of thoughts on the Pitt-Penn State rivalry. For one, I think it's really a victim of the conference realignment start. And I'm not talking about the the current wave we have where, you know, Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC, USC, UCLA. I'm talking about the, the splintering from the start, right, from when we started to look at TV money being a very real thing. This and this rivalry ended in terms of playing every year back when it did, when Pitt went to the Big East, largely because of those motivations. 
And so now everything that surrounds this rivalry is about that. It's about, okay, what benefit does it have for me in terms of what Penn State has? Because Penn State has built themselves a massive brand in the Big Ten. And so I look at Penn State and say, they really don't need Pitt in terms of recruiting, right? They get the Whippeal kids already. Right. I think it's a great money driver, though, in terms of TV ratings. That When they play for four years, those were among the highest rated games for both teams. Even when you looked at Penn State, you know, they played Ohio State and Michigan and in those marquee teams. Man, Pitt was up there with some of those games. Uh, it, they sold out Beaver Stadium. They sold out Heinz Field. So there's a benefit certainly for Pitt, but for, even for Penn State, there's three benefits to me. The money I think you get in from TV ratings and actually hosting the game is big. The second part of it is that, man, it's a college football tradition. Like some things just don't need to be about pure monetary value to a program, right? Like the backyard brawl does make a lot of money for Pitt and WVU, but that's not why they need to play each other. They need to play each other because what makes college football so great and so different from the NFL or anything else is that we have these regional rivalries that don't really exist elsewhere on that plane. It's one of the greatest things in college football, and it's what made college football so great to start. I want to see all those rivalries games played. I want to see Pitt-Penn State. I want to see Oklahoma-Oklahoma State. I want to see Texas-Texas A&M. Like, I want to see all of those great historical rivalries be played and so Pitt Penn State is just a victim of the money first kind of era. Listen, I think that there is a factor in terms of Penn State looking back at 2016 and obviously realizing they lost to Pitt, and that was the reason why they didn't make the college football playoff that year because Pitt beat them. Are they probably scared to lose to Pitt? Yeah, it would suck for them to lose to Pitt. They're scheduling Syracuse, though. They don't need to be scheduling Syracuse. Pitt is a 100% better game for them than Syracuse. They get far more benefit from Pitt than Syracuse. So, I mean, there's a number of factors to this, man. Pitt and Penn State should play every year, but I have zero expectations of that actually happening. I wish it did because I think college football is built on great rivalries, and I think Pitt-Penn State could be a great rivalry. It definitely should be played every year, and I think a lot of the notion, at least on the Penn State side, or at least for, from Pitt observers as to why Penn State doesn't want it played, it's Sandy Barber did not want to basically cooperate with Pitt, work with Pitt, and try to get something going. Well, now Pat Kraft is the vice president of collegiate athletics. And Pat Narduzzi and Pat Kraft have a good relationship. Narduzzi was saying he likes Pat. He's a good guy. But again, you should ask James Franklin. It makes me think Narduzzi really opened my eyes wide to this whole entire thing. When he basically pointed the finger – at Franklin and said, he basically at this point is the roadblock. I'm sure the players would want it played. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they want the competition and want the possibility to go out there and beat people that a, I'm sure a lot of them played against either in high school, a ton were recruited by the same entire school. There's clearly a reason you picked Pitt over Penn state and why, or you pick Penn state over Pitt, whatever particular program that it was that you decided to join. And still it's the notion of, what it should be played because what it means, what it represents for the region. And I think that, as you talked about, money gets so much involved. And the fact that college football, as the Big Ten has swallowed up Pac-12 schools and the SEC has swallowed up Big 12 schools, conferences don't matter in terms of if they're regional or not. And rivalries are the only thing that we're trying to grasp onto still because Georgia still plays Georgia Tech. Miami and Florida State, there's so many of these things that just are what should be meant to be in college sports because, again, it's still college athletics, and there should be something that means of importance to people in that, but it just doesn't seem like it's the case, and it's become more of a corporate and corporate brand the more college football continues to expand and add NIL, which is a wild, wild west. It, it is. It, it has really become corporatized. Um, I think that's what we're talking about. It started all the way back then, you know, in the 80s and the 90s. The seeds were planted then, and they've just further been sown. And, and so Pitt and Penn State is a victim of that. 
I wish that they still played each other. Uh, you know, I didn't even grow up with that rivalry. Like, I, no. they barely played. The first Pitt-Penn State game I ever watched was 2016. That's the first game I've ever watched. The only four games I've ever watched in terms of live viewing are 2016 to 2019. But you can't tell me the past eight years it would have been great. Pitt's, Pitt's ACC championship team against Penn State with Kenny Pickett going in there, that year they would have gone to Happy Valley. They yes. would have gone to Happy Valley on the road to Beaver Stadium. That would have been a fantastic game. Like, I wish that we saw that team play Penn State. I wanted to see that game. I want to see Pitt play Drew Aller. I want to see that happen. They're, that is a good game because it means something. Pitt was a fringe top 25 team last year. WVU sucked last year. And it still was a marquee game. It doesn't matter. 13 to 9 is still a massive rallying point in that rivalry. And Pitt sucked that year because they stopped West Virginia from becoming a potential national championship team. They went five and seven. They went five and seven. And like WVU has done that before the opposite way. That is a good thing. That is a good rivalry. Yes. Penn State would probably win most of those games. We understand that. It, it Penn State is a marquee program. They are. Pitt isn't quite on that level yet, but Pitt now back-to-back -back 20 top 25 finishes. Like, listen, a Pitt-Penn State game in this age with the stuff Pat Narduzzi has built at Pitt, man, that is a top 25 matchup potentially in week two. And you, you're telling me that Penn State can't get gain from that? Pitt, I'll tell you this, Penn State gets less gain from playing, for example, Indiana, from playing Purdue, from playing Northwestern, Illinois, than they do from playing Pitt. That, that, that's the thing. And those are obviously conference games. But I feel like if you embrace the rivalry and what college football meant at essence at first and what made it so popular, it should be a game that's played. But obviously the... Overton window in terms of what college football is and what teams want, what conferences want has shifted so dramatically at this point that it's just unlikely to happen. So it's great to actually see what Pitt and West Virginia have done and what seems to be them protecting a rivalry that really should exist. Our friend Jim Hammett of uh, Panther Lair tweeted something that was pretty fascinating today. Over the last five years, the, well, the last five year total, Pat Narduzzi, 41 and 22, with a conference championship, two division championships, two top 25 finishes, no losing seasons, 6-11 and 11 versus ranked teams, a 2-2 two and two bowl record, two and a half first-round picks. He counted uh, Jordan Addison as a half of first-round pick, which, I mean, he was with Pitt for the majority of his college career. 16 NFL draft picks, one top 25 recruiting class, a Heisman finalist, and four consensus All-Americans. Compared to James Franklin, 42-19, and 19, no conference championships, no division championships because this is only the past five years, nothing from 2016. Three top 25 finishes, one losing season. That was the COVID year. It was an absolute disaster for Penn State that year. Seven and 13 against ranked teams. A lot of that's Ohio State and Michigan. Two and two in bowl games. Four first-round dra draft picks. 31 total draft picks. Five top 25 recruiting classes. One consensus All-American. No Heisman finalized, finalist, which if you look at it, I would take Pat Narduzzi. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some context missing there because I, I do think that there's a lot of context. Missing. You know, I think naturally Penn State plays a tougher schedule in the yes. Big Ten than Pitt does in the ACC. Um, but I do think that it shows a level of consistency from Pitt as a program that makes you think that would be a really good game just about every year. Now, yeah, there's 51 to six, and, and that was obviously a really bad game, but that was a really bad Pitt team too. That team was not good, but 2019, I mean, Pitt wasn't that good of a team, but Kenny Pickett went into happy Valley and nearly led Pitt to a win that year. Um, I just think that, that, you know, even in these times, if that, if you had shifted another four game set from 2020 through 23, man, you would have gotten two Kenny Pickett versus Sean Clifford games, including the ACC championship team. Instead of Pitt playing anyone that year that didn't matter, okay, instead of playing Western Michigan in a home and home, they played Penn State. I would have rather done that as a Pitt fan. 
Um, I just I don't see the value in that. Um, and, and so I want to see that because there's funny to be made. It's a great rivalry in these teams. Penn State has a leg up on Pitt as a program. There's no doubt about it. But, man, in recent memory, I mean, these would have been good games that they would have been. The Penn State players, I do not believe, are scared. I don't think most of the coaching staff is scared. Maybe Franklin? Administration? But if you would slot Pitt into this schedule right now, instead of West Virginia, the aspirations in Happy Valley this year are playoffs. After winning the Rose Bowl last season, all the success that the team had, two losses, a great, and I mean, fantastic group of freshmen that are now sophomores, including Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, Abdul Carter at linebacker, and Drew Aller, the sophomore quarterback. If you put Pitt up against that group and Pitt won, Penn State is automatically out of playoff contention because they got Ohio State on the road, Michigan at home. Many people believe that Ohio State is in a transitional period at quarterback and that Michigan is the best team in the Big Ten. They lose one of those games and then win the Big Ten championship. They're in. If they drop to Pitt, they're out. And I think that's what's so enticing to Pitt. Pitt has very little to lose in this series. But because Penn State is viewed as the alpha and the big dog in this whole entire series and in the state, that if they have one slip up, it's all over for them because the aspirations are so much higher and the expectations as well. Yeah, and listen, they do have – I think what – they have in the Big Ten is they have a lot of these teams, you know, when we're not ignore when we ignore the Indianas and the Northwesterns, Purdue, Rutgers, those teams that traditionally don't perform well. They've had good years in recent memory, but teams that kind of stay at the bottom of the Big Ten. When we talk about those middle tier teams like Wisconsin, like Michigan State, um, like those teams, like I think Penn State often has a, a harder slog through the Big Ten. And that's not even including Ohio State and Michigan, right? Like that's that's something that I I understand. They don't want another like, okay, they play Pitt. Well, Pitt this last year was what they finished 24th in the AP. And so you would have to face another top 25 team. They would have had to face the ACC champions in 21. And and who knows if Pitt is a perennial nine-win team now, that's what they are. That is another Wisconsin on their schedule, basically. And and I understand wanting to run from that because we've seen teams in polls and college football playoffs be rewarded for playing cupcake schedules. I think that's another factor. They don't play a tough schedule. Think about the guys that Georgia play out of conference. Georgia Tech isn't any good. And then it's just a bunch of Alabama plays Mercer. You know, there's – but I, I like the fact that Georgia still plays Georgia Tech, and yes. and and let, like Georgia Tech has a has everything to gain in that rivalry, and Georgia has everything to lose, but they still play it. But it's yes. a different dynamic than what obviously Pitt and Penn State would be, because Penn State, while better than Pitt as a program, is not so dramat- demonstrably better right now as a program than Pitt, to where they could lose that game on a given year. That is a truth. They could be an 11-1 team, a top-10 team, but if Pitt is a 9-3 team to an 11-1 team, that 9-3 team many times can easily win that game. That is, that's another tough game on their schedule. I just, It's the rivalry elements of it and the rivalry elements of college football that made it great in the first place, and it's the reason why it should be played. It, it's a great rivalry. Pitt, Penn State, and West Virginia, all three of those teams should play each other every year. So, Nick, you cover the Steelers for Steelers now. You've seen over the last two years the development of Kenny Pickett in his rookie year, now going into the second year after helping Pitt win the ACC championship. The success, the Kenny Heisman chance that many people thought was just a fantasy almost became reality. And now after, I think it was four game-winning drives for the Steelers, he was dominant, lights out at the end of the season. What can we expect from the Pitt alum this year? And what's your Steelers projection for KP8. Man, he looks just better this year. I think K, you know, Kenny Pickett looks like an NFL starting quarterback. I think that's been the one thing that just struck me throughout camp, the preseason, 
everything just looks easy for him. You know, facing second stringers already dominates him. I mean, that's what you should do as a starter. You should dominate him. I get, I get. you know, he torched Tampa's second stringers and torched the Falcons' second stringers, but he also torched the, the Bills' first teamers. Like, and a lot of those throws he made in the preseason were, like, not easy throws. That Pat Frymuth touchdown was a dime on a back shoulder throw and protected Frymuth. Great throw. Those deep throws to Deontay Johnson and George Pickens against Atlanta, not easy throws, good ball placement. The touchdown to George Pickens against Tampa Bay, good timing, tight window, like high difficulty throws are translatable. He looks bigger. He looks like he has a little bit more mustard on his arm. Uh, he's got these intangibles that you already knew he had. If, if you had followed Pitt and you would watch Pitt for the five years Kenny Pickett was in town, you knew his intangibles were great. You knew he had a, a kind of a knack for being a – locker room leader being loved there being a tough gritty guy that just got guys to run around him he had this kind of winning knack and he found ways to make clutch plays often and that's what he is doing right now in the nfl but he just looks more comfortable in terms of reading defenses um he looks better in the pocket he's not you know bailing on the pocket but when he goes outside the pocket he still is great on the run i think that's one of his best traits uh, he just looks more comfortable man his his projection this year should be to jump in to that next tier of quarterbacks. And that next tier of quarterbacks I'm talking about, you know, I want to see Kenny Pickett get to the level where I can say, all right, he can be, you know, a, a Kirk Cousins like guy. Like, that's what I want to see. I want to see that second year leap. If you talk about where he should be in terms of what you want with the weapons and the improved offensive line, it probably should be somewhere around over 3,500 yards or somewhere around there, about 25 or so touchdowns and below 12 interceptions. Um, just for reference, last year, Trevor Lawrence, who was obviously a great prospect coming out of Clemson, had a terrible rookie year, but last year broke out. Over 4,000 yards, passing 25 touchdowns, eight picks. Now, I'm not, I don't expect Kenny Pickett to have a Trevor Lawrence-like year, but I do expect him to have a year that is indicative of of second year breakout status guys that tend to be sticky breakout have kind of those types of stats. I just told you. Uh, so that's what he needs to do. I think it's a realistic expectation. We'll see what Matt Canada kind of, kind of fits into there. I think he, he's the conundrum, but Kenny Pickett should be in that tier of guys, you know, with the, the Derek Carrs, the Jimmy Garoppolo's, when he was kind of in his prime, you know, if he, Jared Goff, like how he played last year with the Lions, was a very good player. Um, that's where his baseline should be. But I think his his goal should be to be a, a Kirk Cousins level guy, you know, Dak Prescott area type of 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 area there. I think that'd be a good goal for him to kind of reach. And maybe a little bit higher because when you hear those quarterbacks, you don't hear a lot of playoff success, at least for Pitt fans and. Steeler fans alike, they want to see more. And, you know, I said on the fan a couple months ago, I could see upwards of 29 touchdowns for Kenny Pickett, that being like the cap this year. And I had a lot of confidence in that because I believe in the breakout for George Pickens. Deontay Johnson is not going to catch Zippo touchdowns this year. Darnell Washington in the red zone. And from for Pickett, at least for me, and seeing him in the three times that I did at camp and in the preseason, when Pickett was trying to make the decision whether to come back for that extra year, he, he had just looked okay the that year, the year before. But when he came out for that final year before everything, the magical season for Pitt, the ACC championship season, it was night and day difference. And I get the same feeling, the same vibe surrounding Pickett this year from his rookie year with the Steelers. It's now going into the second year that I did from that one season where you were thinking, oh, well, you know, Kenny's going to come back, but – how much of a leap can he really make? He'd be like a fifth, a six-round pick right now. To the point where now he's a franchise quarterback type of guy. And I think that partly goes back to how Pitt is able to develop players, that we've seen all the NFL success that Pitt players are having. Aaron Donald's the most dominant guy in all of in all of football after being a very good player at Pitt, but then becoming probably a top five defensive lineman of all time. And we see the development from so many of the other guys that have been on the Panthers, how important DeMar Hamlin has been to the game of football, also representing Pitt. And now for Kenny Pickett to be the it guy that so many analysts, so many analysts rather, are picking to be 
the breakout quarterback you should watch. Only two incompletions, two touchdowns, perfect passer rating. It shines a light on the Steelers, but also it should on Pitt. It did. And it's a good sign for Pitt because, you know, under Pat Narduzzi, like the team actually has a semi-decent record of producing quarterbacks. Like, you know, Nathan Peterman is still around in, in the NFL. Um, I think that is something to, to look at. Uh, I, I think it, it needs to become something that they need to start to develop. You know, Nathan Peterman, Kenny Pickett, Phil Dracovich going to the NFL, I think would be a boost for that status too. Um, and, and, you know, Tom Savage, even before um, Pat Narduzzi kind of embraced him, um, you know, coming in. But that is something also I think you have to look at in terms of just guys that have come out of pit in the last decade or so. And Tom Savage didn't last like super long time in the NFL. He lasted until about 2019 and came obviously right before Pat Narduzzi, but even then, you started to build a reputation of, okay, this team could produce some interesting quarterbacks. And obviously, Kenny Pickett is the guy that's going to be your focal point. It's great for marketing in terms of in this age. We, we You know, you can put up him, the Bolitnikoff Award that Jordan Addison won. Like, you could say, listen, man, Pitt can be a marquee place. Kalaja Kansi, just as a first-round draft pick, like, Pitt can produce legitimate high-end NFL talent. I think that's... That's the key that Pitt needs to kind of hang their hat on in an NIL age. They obviously have an NIL kind of collective that is starting to burgeon things up, but also that NFL success, don't forget about the pros because I think most of those guys, when they commit, would obviously want to say, how do you get me to the NFL? And I think Pitt can show a very clear path at a lot of positions, including quarterback, which is obviously a huge thing. So, Nick, finally – for me, I think Pitt's high-end record projection this year is right around 9-3. and three. The schedule's not easy. You've got to go to Notre Dame at West Virginia. Cincinnati's a good program that you got to face at home in Week 2. Florida State at home is going to be a tough game. At Virginia Tech, that is never easy going into that environment. 8-4, and four, I think, is probably the spot that I had the Panthers slotted in with a bowl game that at that point in time, I think will be kind of winnable. But when you have Florida state, I don't care where that game's going to be played. The expectations for them this year, I think they're a little bit overrated. They need to show me more to truly have top 10 status in my mind, but going to Notre Dame, that is always a challenge at West Virginia is going to be very difficult. And I think the Panthers luck out that it's week three and not week one. Because I could easily see WVU sneaking out a victory at home if that game was at the very start, just like how it was in just kind of a helter-skelter type of mode week one at Akershire Stadium, where Pitt could have very easily, if it wasn't for MJ Devonshire, lost that game. Yeah, it's not an easy schedule. Um, But I will say I think they're pretty clearly better than the first three teams on their schedule. I think they're better than, obviously, Wofford. But, you know, Cincinnati is going to be in a down year. Luke Fickle now at Wisconsin. You know, they kind of lost most of their nucleus now to the NFL. They're going to have to just rebuild it a little bit under Satterfield and, and kind of get their feet under them. They're not going to be, I think, a bad team, but I don't think they're going to be like some marketedly great team this year. So I think Pitt should win that game. They should. Home too. WVU, I think, is still a team that I have too many questions about. Pitt should be better than them. I know it's yeah. in Morgantown and a rivalry game, but – Realistically, if we're talking about on-field paper results and not everything plays out like an on-field paper look at things, but Pitt should win that game. Uh, I just think you look at the, the schedule, and I think there's a lot of teams Pitt is better than or at least certainly equal to. Uh, let, let's be real. Drake May coming to, to Akershire Stadium is going to be a tough game that, right after that. I think that's going to be tough. But Pitt's probably better than Virginia Tech, even though they're going to Blacksburg. Louisville is a team that I think is a sleeper team, but Pitt should probably at least be at least even with that group. Um, Wake Forest, Pitt should probably win that one. That's on the road, but you're right. I think the back-to-back of Notre Dame to Florida State is going to really kind of make or break this this unit. Uh, I think it really depends on how quickly this group, specifically the defense, 
kind of meshes with so many young players defensively. I think that's going to be the big thing and how quickly Pitt can get up to speed on it. But they've got a number of tough games. UNC at Notre Dame, uh, home against Florida State. Duke in their last game down in Durham. I mean, that's a tough game, man. Riley Leonard's a baller. Elko has that team really well coached. They've got more talent finally now. He's got his players in there. That Duke team is a tough group. You know, they're not going to be some elite unit, but they could definitely be a fringe top 25 team with a future NFL quarterback at the helm and Riley Leonard. I mean, it's not going to be an easy, easy, easy run for this team. But the high-end result to me is, okay, let's say Pitt wins the games they're even against, wins the games they should, and sneaks one away from one of those top 25 teams, I think their ceiling is probably 10-2. and two. I think that's a realistic ceiling if you say, okay, these things go right, you play really well, boom, boom, boom. Realistically, I agree, though, with you. I think 8-4 feels about right. You lose some – You maybe you steal a game from one of those ranked teams, you lose a game or two you shouldn't. But I feel like 8-4 and four feels about right. This feels like a transitional year in a large way for this team, too, anyways. You know, I know with Phil Dracovich being a senior quarterback, you want to win there since this is his last year, but it does feel like a group that really needs time to mesh and probably won't hit their stride till later in the year. Yeah, and just listing off those teams, I overlooked North Carolina right off the bat, who's 21st in the country, and the Syracuse game is on the road being played at Yankee Stadium. So, I mean, that's a lot of different intriguing matchups for Pitt, and Really one of the toughest schedules that I can remember in recent memory that did not include Clemson on it especially. But, Nick, really appreciate you joining me. Where can we find you on social media? Hey, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Nick underscore Fairbaugh. If you want to there, you know, make sure to check it out. I'm talking Pitt, of course, over there. and That's football, basketball, whatever you may want. Nick, really appreciate your time. Nick Fairbaugh joining us here on Panthers Pathway, the first episode I'm Austin Bexel. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for joining in. And it is Pitt and Wofford, the season opener of the 2023 season at Akershire Stadium, Saturday, September 2nd at 3.30, as Pat Narduzzi and company is back on the field for Phil Dracovic, the transfer quarterback in his final season, Pine Richland alum. And the Panthers will be getting set to go before facing off against Cincinnati and the backyard brawl at West Virginia, September 16th at 7.30. We'll join you next week. We'll be back again for Panthers Pathway, talking about part of the result of Wofford and also previewing Cincinnati right here on the Fan First Sports Network.